Welcome, welcome. Episode 62 here of the BS of the Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. I'm just diving headfirst into that. Seems like people seem to appreciate it and approve that name. Um, There's a couple of wink wink references in there that some of you guys got in the comments section, so I appreciate that. Uh, But this is episode 62. We're kind of back to the the old duo, the old team. Myself and Jim Kokenauer are going to go ahead and spitball about the Phoenix Suns, talk about various topics going on here this week. Um, but yeah, episode 62, we're coming at it, Jim, a lot of stuff, but not really anything going on in the world of basketball. It's, this is the most weird time of year. Cause it feels like there's so much going on, but literally nothing is going on. How are you doing and how are you enjoying this off season so far? Actually, I mean, there's been a lot of noise surrounding the inactivity, so it's been a pretty interesting off season. Just like the free agency period, there was all these rumors, everything was going on, happening, but in the end, almost no you know, moving around the players actually resulted in all that. The, the stars kind of stayed where they were, LeBron went home, but it was a lot of fun tracking all of it. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what basketball has become. We move at the speed of Twitter, as I said yeah, last week in the podcast. That's a Frank Vogel quote that will go down in uh, infamous lore there. Uh, probably the best basketball quote I've heard in a long time because that's true. I mean, basketball moves at the speed of Twitter. And if there's a rumor, then we're excited. If there's not a rumor, we're complaining that nothing is going on. It's kind of a silly, weird, uh, hyper universe that we've created here in the world of basketball. But with the Phoenix Suns, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about, Jim. There's... Phoenix Suns related, Eric Bledsoe, Robert Sarver, radio comment stuff going on. Chris Broussard reporting some stuff today that Chris Broussard likes to report. Um, We got Team USA injuries, some interesting things uh, and some unfortunate things going on with cuts and Team USA putting their roster together. Um, We got P.J. Tucker getting his sentencing from the extreme super duper crazy DUI that he received or however they phrase it in the legal textbooks there. Where where do you want to start this podcast off, Jim? I'm just going to pass the baton off to you and say, where do you want to start? Let's start with the uh, PJ situation. So, to what re- did you think? What did you think of the punishment levied in the plea agreement deal? I mean, it's a plea agreement, and it's a guy that has more money than a normal person, so he can create situations with better lawyers and with um, you know better context of the situation. So, I, I mean, if people are at, like out at large and and you know want to create this big uproar over him getting three days. Let's talk about all the stuff that Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton and all these, you know, moronic celebrities have done and gotten off with a slap on the wrist. So, I mean, it, you know, athletes fall in line with that world of celebrity. It's really just the world of money. I don't know what we call it, celebrity, but when you have money, you can get better lawyers, you can create better situations for yourself. And three days in jail, you know, PJ Tucker is a guy who looks like he could probably play an extra in a movie of a of a jail movie. So it'll be. For him, I don't know what it'll look like being in jail. I'm sure he'll have you know a, a unique perspective and take on it in uh, 72 hours there when he gets out and he's able to speak to the media again and you know talking at training camp about that experience. But like I said last week in the podcast, if he takes this as an opportunity to become an activist for that type of a situation with DUIs or super duper extreme crazy DUI, whatever they call it in the legal textbooks, if, if he can use this as an opportunity to become like an activist and do some positive in the community, then there's some good that comes out of it. But overall, it's just another situation of a guy got busted doing something dumb. He's paying for it. He said all the right things. And, you know, he's going to serve his time, pay his fine, and then kind of move on from it. That's really all that needs to be said about this, at, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I'm not going to try to traduce TJ over the situation too much or impugn his character. I told kind of a little story that when I was in the Army, my battery had to go through a drunk driving uh, educational class 
on a Saturday because a couple of the guys had gotten DUIs in the previous month. So that was kind of the, the drunk driving awareness punishment for the battery. And people were kind of grumbling about that. But the captain asked everybody in the battery, well, if you haven't either driven while you know you shouldn't have been or driven while you thought you might not be capable, then go ahead and raise your hand. And out of the battery of about 80 of us, only two people raised their hand. So, you know, obviously PJ Tucker was really drunk, but it's 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 a it's a very big social problem. It's very pervasive, but I'm not going to cast stones in a glass house because it, it is a very pervasive social problem, and I know a lot of people that have run into legal problems with it. So, you know, the punishment. I think that that uh, the jail time. You know. Arizona has the expect the max type of campaign, and obviously PJ didn't have to expect the max. And like you said, celebrities, uh, rich people play by different rules than us normal people. So I guess there's that. But I also kind of thought that it does say a lot about PJ's character and what the team does think of him, irrespective of this situation, uh, in spite of this situation maybe, that they still went through with the contract situation and signed that ink that when they knew that this was uh, lingering, that this had happened. Yeah, it's it's kind of about equity. It's like when we talk about Ryan McDonough and go, we assume that he's going to you know snap his fingers and click his heels and wave his wand and amazing things are going to happen no matter what he does. You know, Every pick has got to be an amazing player, and, and because Ryan McDonough did it, it's the same thing with P.J. Tucker. I mean, he's built up an equity of good character, good leadership, you know, really not doing anything to stand out in a negative way and doing a lot of things to stand out in a positive way, despite the fact that he was never the, you know, richest contract on the roster. He was never the most tenured guy on the team, even though now he's kind of becoming that. But, you know, he's a leader. He's respected and he made a mistake. And I'm of the opinion that if you make a mistake, then you get an opportunity to, you know, correct that mistake and get a second chance if that's what you truly want and you can go out there and prove it. So I think PJ is going to have this opportunity to prove it. He hasn't done anything in the past like this. Um, so we'll see how this ends up shaking out. But yeah, I mean, the people are going to get up in arms and go, how come he didn't get the, the max and how come he didn't get this and how come he didn't get that? That's legal stuff. I, I have no idea how that works. Go talk to lawyers about that. But overall, from a basketball perspective, you know, he's going to be back for training camp. He'll be back for the whole season. We'll see if suspensions are in order from the league or from the team. I, I don't know if that's already been decided and if things aren't going to happen with that. But as of me recording this, I haven't heard anybody saying that, you know, suspensions have been completely ruled out from the league or from the Suns, correct? No, I haven't heard that anything is rolled out in terms of that, and you know that might be something good for the Suns to actually impose to show that they understand the gravity and the seriousness of the situation. And you know, I guess in monopoly terms, uh, PJ has used his get out of jail free card now, even though he didn't completely get out of jail free. So he has a you know the probation, everything else that goes along with that that's going to carry him into the future. But this. I would uh, assume is his one mistake that he's going to get with the Suns. Exactly. And that's actually from everybody that's asked me about that. People that know that I kind of cover the Suns or whatnot. Uh, they've asked me, you know, what, what is going to happen with that? I, I would imagine the Suns would self-impose any suspensions. Like if anyone had an inkling that the league was considering a suspension or a punishment beyond what has happened for P.J. Tucker, 
I would assume that the league would or the Suns would go ahead and self-impose to be able to kind of preeminate all that and make sure that they can avoid looking like the team that allowed the league to come in and punish and they weren't going to do anything. And this is a this is a structure and a management group that I think would do that and be more preemptive than reactive to like a league suspension or what the league would want to do. So I think that you hit the nail on the head when it comes to that. So PJ Tucker is in the news, unfortunately, for a negative way. He released a statement. Lon Babby, the team president of basketball operations, also released a statement. Both of them, you know, basically saying the same thing. Hey, look, we're not letting PJ off the hook. He knows what he did. It was wrong. And we're going to go ahead and move forward from this in a positive light. And we expect, you know, more from PJ and PJ expects more from PJ. So, you know, that's just paraphrasing, obviously not exact words. But I think that both sides understand that this has happened. It's, you know, you need to acknowledge it and you have to move forward from it, basically. Yeah, I, I think he did express uh, at least an appropriate amount of contrition in the statements he made that PJ made. So he was—it it was just a pretty surprising situation because out of a lot of people, if you would have made me guess and said, "Hey, a player on the Suns has got an extreme, a super extreme DUI," then it would have taken me a couple people down the list before I would have guessed PJ Tucker's name. Yeah, and that's see what's funny is that's a dangerous game where you go. I would have first thought, and then you throw out a Suns player's name because that's you know not the right answer to that kind of a question. And that, I, I I had I had the, I had the same kind of a reaction to it. Is someone you know I think it was on a podcast this week or two weeks ago where I had made the comment of if you had told me a Phoenix Suns player had an ex- even just a DUI, right? Not even like this super duper fantastical, amazing, whimsical DUI that he had. I, these names are kind of silly, but. If you would have told me any player, like, go ahead and start guessing, I think the last four people I would have assumed in no order in particular would have been P.J. Tucker, Goran Dragic, Jeff Hornacek, and Ryan McDonough. Like, those four would be, like, the very bottom of my list in some weird order down there, and then everybody else would fall in line after. Not that everybody on the team is a bunch of drunks, but just from what we've grown to expect from P.J. and from Goran and, you know, from other players on this team, it was just a little bit of a shock, a little bit of a taken aback. Uh, question for you, Jim. You're a longtime Suns fan. We've both been in Phoenix watching Suns basketball in some capacity for a long time. We went through the, the Colangelo era. How quickly would PJ's contract either been rescinded, um, redacted, he would have been traded? How quickly would that have happened maybe about 13 years ago under a guy named Colangelo? Wow. He certainly handled some of these situations differently. We had a, an article one of our staff members put up a little bit uh, ago, just a couple of days ago, about the, some of Jerry Colangelo's decisions in terms of wanting pristine character guys on the team, and sometimes to the detriment of the team that he would try to rid the team of any kind of blemishes. So I think that if it was still that time frame with Colangelo in the mix, that what I think is that the, the Suns wouldn't have extended the contract to P.J. Tucker after the incident. I'm thinking the same. I, I can I can see that happening there. And the reason I bring that up is twofold, because Colangelo used to own the Suns, and he used to do things like... And this kind of brings up a sensitive topic. I don't want to talk about domestic violence at all here, so let's not run with that here, guys. But right after the Jason Kidd stuff happened, and obviously other news came out that kind of created a bigger picture story. But as soon as the, the Jason Kidd stuff came out, I mean, your all-star point guard, arguably top 10 player in the league, the immediate knee-jerk reaction, and he's traded, as well as other situations with other players on the team with you know DUIs and, and drugs and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I get it. Like, you don't want a late 80s, you know, Phoenix Suns kind of a situation happening with all the drugs and the crazy stuff that was going on. But 
also kind of the knee jerk stuff that Colangelo did was sometimes questionable, sometimes understandable, um, sometimes good. You know, it was a mixed bag of opinions on what he did with that team back then, especially toward the uh, the formative years or the ending years for him because they they weren't so formative. Um, other news with Colangelo, DeMarcus Cousins, Mason Plumley, Jim Kokenauer's reaction. That is kind of bizarre. I'm not going to go quite to where I've heard some people talk about it because I don't want to uh, get like burned at the stake in terms of saying something wrong in terms of that. But it's hard for me to rationalize some kind of scenario where Plumlee is anywhere near the player DeMarcus Cousins is. DeMarcus Cousins, I've heard maybe it's about fit with the up-tempo style of the team, but at the same time, I was reading something recently that even though Cousins doesn't have a ton of opportunities, he's one of the best, uh, most efficient finishers in transition of big men in the league. And not only that, but it gives you a little bit of a bigger element to where you have the ability to bang around a little bit more against a few select teams. I, I can't see a situation where DeMarcus Cousins isn't deserving. He has had some issues with attitude, efforts, and stuff like that in the past, but he's also playing in Sacramento. And, and I think that that kind of dynamic can actually thwart stymie the growth of a lot of players. I, I kind of look back at the situation with all the players that the Clippers drafted over all those years that didn't go on to success, and what would have happened if you had put those same players on the Spurs in a, a better environment that would foster growth out of them that'd be more conducive to them becoming maximizing their potential. Maybe that wouldn't have happened to all those players. So I don't, I don't think the Kings have the best environment there. And unlike DJ, who we were just talking about, Cousins hasn't had any off-the-court issues. He hasn't had any run-ins with the law. He hasn't had anything. So it's just done these little attitude things. And he's made a, a big commitment, it seems like, that he's really tried to, to put on his best face and go out there and give his best effort and wants to play for his country and, I don't see, I don't see how Mason Plumley could beat him out in in this type of format. So to play a game of point counterpoint, you mentioned a little bit of the negative of what Demarcus Cousins brings and a lot of the positives there. So let me go with more of the negatives there. And and I've already made my comments on Twitter and and talking to people and whatnot, but. With DeMarcus Cousins, it's a combination of those things that you said. It's it's one thing to go, well, he's got some attitude issues, and you know maybe it's the environment, and he's a terrific big guy, and he's a tremendous scorer, and he can rebound, and he can bang, and you start emphasizing the positives. But if you start doing the same thing with the negatives, then they stand out like a sore thumb. And when it comes to Mason Plumlee, like first and foremost, I want to kind of eradicate that Duke thing. I I mean, granted, it's a thing and it's there, but I, I don't understand why people are running with that as a uh, Coach K hates Kentucky or Coach K is just going for his Duke guys because. Yeah, there might be some merit to it, but that's not the sole basis of a guy who has had the success that Mike Krzyzewski has had is going to make in putting together his Team USA roster. I, I think that's kind of a silly notion. With Mason Plumley making it over to Marcus Cousins, it could be a combination of chemistry, a combination of the up-tempo offense. Could be, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, every time he's put a suit on for Team USA and gone out there in practices and tryouts and things like that in years past. I'm not talking about this time. In years past, there has been negative stories that have come out. There have been negative reports that have come out. He has been a guy that kind of soured on the administration over there putting together Team USA. So 
the the negative to bringing him on is all of that is potentially having kind of that you know that erosion type chemistry in the locker room and having a guy like Demarcus you know pouting and complaining about getting minutes or whatever the negative stuff is with him. That's all a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know Demarcus's maturity as a young guy, but that's the the negative side of it. That's where I can see and understand. Now, are we talking about talent? If you ask Coach K to rank talent-wise the guys that he has out there, I'm pretty sure Mason Plumlee is not a guy that goes above DeMarcus Cousins. We're not talking about talent. We're talking about fit, chemistry, and winning a gold medal, right? That's that's what we're talking about here. So do I have a problem with Mason Plumlee making it as, like, the third or fourth big man and being, like, the fourth or fifth guy off the bench and just being a member of the roster? No, I don't have a problem with that at all, but I also don't have a problem with taking a flyer on DeMarcus Cousins and instead of pushing him away because of his past experiences to putting your arm around him and trying to see if you can be part of the positive change in his life. I mean, that there's two different sides of it, and I don't think that either is the wrong answer in my opinion. But, you know, again, you know, a lot of people are going to disagree with that, like you said, with yours. Right. And they are, they're, they are building a team. They're not just selecting the best 12 possible talents. So... At the same time, you still have guys like Chandler Parsons and DeMar DeRose and Kenneth Fareed that have made the cut so far, not that they're going to be on the final team. And none of those guys is better than John Wall, which just didn't make the cut. And he plays a different position. But you got Kyle Korver on there, for instance. Is he a, a better talent than a lot of these guys? Absolutely not. But he might fill a special role that they think is important. That's part of why if DeMarcus Cousins does not make the final team, I'll even be kind of discomfited there because I think he does fill a special role in terms of with him and, and also Drummond is one of the guys left, that the, the team doesn't have any bangers at all. And that might be something that they would like to have in some situations through some of these games. you got a lot of finesse and athleticism on the team. So and I don't see why it would hurt to have one big body. You can take one banger. Because there's only two left in the entire competition to make the roster. DeMarcus Cousins and Andre Drummond, both really young talents. Drummond is extremely raw compared to DeMarcus Cousins. Cousins has more of that polish. And they are they're both have very different games. But they're both big, banging bodies that you can throw out there against like Spain and these other teams that are really big. Of those two, which one would you keep if you can only have one? I would keep Cousins. I think he's a more dynamic player. And despite some of the negative takeaways from his game. For me, I'd be really interested because I, I think that he would be a guy that would really complement the, the style of others out there. He plays with a little bit of attitude, a little bit of an edge, and I actually think that he would be one of those guys that would... People would say he looks better in that type of environment, kind of like the situation where some people say, well, Carmelo Anthony looks a lot better when he's playing with these better players on, on an Olympic team in that kind of environment. I think that I think the Cousins would adapt really well. I'd be really interested to, to see how it played out. Yeah, and I, and I think Mason Plumley to that exact point, I think, or yeah, Mason Plumley, I think to that exact point would look phenomenal with four All Stars and four MVP candidates around him making plays and letting him just run straight lines up and down the court, block shots, dunk, and rebound. Mason Plumley could look terrific in that kind of a role. I mean, again, we're not talking talent. I don't necessarily. I'm not saying he's even in the same stratosphere as Demarcus Cousins as a talent. But that makes more sense. And, and I think that a lot of this stuff with will Mason Plumley make the roster over DeMarcus Cousins is kind of a cute story to have it with those two. But there's still four more cuts that need to happen. So there's 16 players. They whittled it down to 16 from the 19. You mentioned John Wall not making it. 
Uh, Paul Millsap was also another player that didn't make the cut there, and uh, Paul George with his uh, gruesome injury there. Those two, are, or those three overall, did not make the cut. So we have basically Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Steph Curry. In a lot of ways, those are starters in most people's opinions. Derrick Rose, Mason Plumley, Cousins Drummond, DeMar DeRozan, Kenneth Fareed, Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, Kyle Korver, Chandler Parsons, Clay Thompson, Damian Lillard. Sorry for listing names for so long. You've, <laughs> you've, you've looked at this a little bit. I've looked at this a little bit. If you're starting to chip away at the kinks there and you're starting to weed off the fat, there's four pieces of fat that are left to be removed. Who are those to you? If you can just make this decision as Jerry Colangelo and Coach K, you are them right now. I think Clay Thompson, Chandler Parsons, and Gordon Hayward uh, duplicate a lot of each other's talent. Clay Thompson is more of a, uh, a shooter, two shooter, I guess, out there. I guess I could see you eliminating either one of Parsons or Hayward that way. Corver and Thompson, I can't see both of those guys maybe being on the same team. I don't know if you need that much kind of spot up shooting from outside. Uh, Mason Plumley still seems like. Four thumb in there. He reminds me of if, he, if he's there. He reminds me of Christian Leitner on the original Dream Team. Like one of these things is not like the other. And <laughs> well, that's why he's there, right? Because he's one of those things that's not <laughs> like the other, and he does something a little bit different than the rest of those guys yeah. do. And then I could see. I think only one of Drummond and Cousins will make it. So I guess real easy there. I could see Plumlee's gone. I would say Drummond's gone. I don't know if that's the way to play out. Uh, one of Hayward and Parsons and one of Thompson and Corver would kind of be probably the way I would make the cut. I'm going to tweak things a little bit different there, and I'm gonna just going to say my similarities to you, or I would probably send Gordon Hayward. Um, not, not a disrespect to these players, because you make it down to the final 16, you did something right. So I'm sending home Hayward. I'm sending home Drummond of the, the three big men that are left for sure. I'm sending home those two. Um I'm, I'm kind of debating the whole Kenneth Fareed being on the roster thing, but I get it with the energy and the rebounding and just the electricity he can bring off the bench. So I kind of like him being there. I, my last two cuts come down to either but two of these three, Mason Plumley, DeMar DeRozan, and because the shooting is needed. I know you're cutting out shooting, but I think the shooting is really needed. So DeMar DeRozan, um, Mason Plumley, and Derrick Rose. And so I'm, I'm sending home Derrick Rose just because I, I think that he needs to go home and just go play for the Chicago Bulls. This is a good experiment. This is a good way to get him on the court, good way to get him out there. And then you just kind of go, thanks for coming. We're going we're gonna to cut you versus you saying you don't want to be here and everybody looks good in this. You know, you came out, you look good. We're sending you home. You didn't look like the guy that, you know, from Minnesota that decided not to come and, you know, hurt his chances of, uh, of being traded like uh, Kevin Love did. Everyone loves Kevin Love. So we had to get that one mention in on this podcast. So, yeah, I mean, I think of the four, I'm sending home Hayward, Rose. Let's go ahead and send home Drummond and either DeRozan or Plumlee. So, I mean, if we're, you know, sending home Drummond already as a big guy, maybe I'd, I send home DeRozan just simply because, you know, having some more size, having another big athlete to give some fouls and play against these big teams out in Europe. So that, that would be my cut. It's a little different than yours, you know, because I'm sending home Derrick Rose. Sorry, guys. That's very interesting that you would uh, list Derrick Rose and, I guess that's kind of what you would do, not what's going to happen, because that doesn't seem like that'd be a possibility that Rose would be sent home. Um, it was, you, you listed it right there at the end, you got DeRozan in there, because when you had kind of gone through your four, I was going to note that it was kind of interesting that DeRozan had uh, abated the scalpel when we were discussing some of the cuts, but he got thrown in there at the, at the very end. And there's a, definitely 
a couple different ways that you could trim the fat there. I think both of us kind of agree that uh, a couple of these guys that are on the bubble kind of duplicate skills between some other guys that could make the roster. So there's a little bit of juggling, and and you wouldn't really necessarily see it as a slight, like you're saying. It's uh, very, you know, it's sort of an honor to even make it to this point, let alone make the final selection. It means that you're considered to be a very good player. So it, it, will, it won't be a, a slight for a couple of the guys that don't quite make it there. Except yeah, for DeMarcus Cousins, then it would be a slight. <laughs> well, I'm trying, you know, and I've, I've become, apparently I'm becoming the Mason Plumley fanboy. I'm going to start getting people saying that he's my boy like uh, Rudy Gobert a few years ago in the NBA draft. So, you know, I guess Mason Plumley's my boy because I'm coming to, I just, I don't know, this one-sided argument that people are making about Cousins They have a very similar skill set. Yeah, Plumlee Mason. And Gobert, they have a very similar skill set. You know, I, no, I was thinking actually that Plumley and Durana uh, and Cousins have a very similar skill set. I think that um, I think that one of these days we're going to see twenty and ten from Mason Plumley, and the Nets are going to build a franchise around him. There you go. There you go. <laughs> in- Plumley, Cousins, and Gobert all with a very similar skill set. Well, you got to let me finish that statement there. That's going to happen in two K sixteen. So that that's when the Brooklyn Nets are going to build a franchise around Mason Plumley. On uh, on Xbox 360 or Xbox One or whatever video game model they're going to be on. So I, I actually th- this is kind of curious for me because I think that four of the five starters are obvious. I think it's Curry, I think it's Harden, Durant, Anthony Davis. I think those four are your starters, and I think Davis is linchpinned in there at the five, and Durant, like Carmelo, should be in there as the four. Who are you rolling with as your fifth starter? I'm going to say mine's Clay Thompson, and I'll give my reason if there if people really think that there needs to be a reason. Just shooting, that's why and decent defense. Who are you throwing in there as your fifth starter with those four? I don't know that I would start Clay Thompson. I you're think... cutting Clay Thompson, so you know, he's on your cutting line, so you're, of yeah. course you're not going to start him. <laughs> well, he, he was potentially cut. It was Corver or Thompson, one of the two. I, I got rid of some shooting that way. I guess I, I, wasn't, I was a little bit more vague with, with my cuts, so I was a little bit more prevaricative. I was kind of... Uh, kind of avoiding the topic of making definitive cuts. So I actually, with what they have there, I can actually see Parsons. Parsons getting the start there. I could actually, I, I could see that because at that point you're looking at kind of a wing player. Um, I, see, I see, I mean, you're looking at a three basically. So you're kind of saying Thompson fits the three. I think that, European three does a little bit more, a little bit more versatile than Clay Thompson, who I think is more of just a spot-up shooter. When I'm when I'm throwing Thompson out there, I'm thinking European three. So here here's my mentality with the fifth starter: it's either designated shooter, so you know, Corver, Thompson, you know, Parsons, as you mentioned, someone is a designated shooter. They can play off the ball with the way that the attacking uh, the three attackers that they have on offense are going to be out there with Durant, Curry, and Harden. So you have a designated shooter. Or with that one, you're running with a two-point guard model, and maybe you're starting Damian Lillard or Derrick Rose or Kyrie Irving. So I don't know which way they're going to go. I mean, European teams either tend to go real small or tend to go with some big bangers on the inside. So it really depends, I guess, maybe matchup-wise. They might float out different starting lineups or rotate guys in quicker into the rotation depending on the matchup. But I I like the two-point guard concept as well. Maybe throwing Damian Lillard out there with Stephen Curry and letting those two guys go out there and just drive teams nuts with the way that they can attack. And then you have James Harden at the three. You have Anthony Davis protecting the rim. You have Kevin Durant, who's a seven-footer, who can also protect the rim in a European-style game. I think that that could be interesting as well with rolling with it a little bit small and going two-point guards. Yeah, they could do that. Uh, the, the team obviously is geared more towards athleticism and speed. 
So they're going to use that to gain the advantage. They, they don't have a, a lot of heft, a lot of bulk, and so they have some of the outside shooting. And I, I guess Kyrie Irving and Lillard, of the the guys that aren't necessarily the shoe-ins, were the only two guys that neither of us was interested in potentially cutting. So I, I can definitely see that the guard play is going to be a, a big strength for this team. The guard play, and I guess thank heavens for Kevin Durant, because if Kevin Durant wasn't in the front court, then we'd be looking pretty thin across the board there. Yeah, if Kevin Durant wasn't in the front court, we might be looking at starting Fareed or Parsons or another big guy with Anthony Davis, and then going, Anthony Davis, go be our best player, no questions asked. Now he's able to go, now he's able to go out there and steal the show, you know, and, and show how amazing he is, you know, on an international stage. I think he's going to go out there and have a huge summer like most people do, but he doesn't have to worry about being the best player. And so that's that's what the whole Stephen Curry being out there as well. The point guard rotation, like we'll get off Team USA in a minute and go back to the Suns here in just a moment, but the uh, the, the concept of a, the point guard, that's one of the reasons why I send Derrick Rose home because if you're starting Steph Curry and let's say you're starting a traditional two guard, well, then you're looking at Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, and Derrick Rose as your bench depth at just the point guard position alone. And Steph Curry, granted European basketball, they're going to rotate these guys in and out, obviously. These guys aren't going to play 38 minutes a game. But the concept of having three all-star caliber point guards playing behind an all-star caliber point guard, they all do different things in some regard. But, I mean, that's that's a lot of one thing to have just behind your point guard. It is, it is. And, and so while we've been talking about this, and then we can get out, go to the next thing, I, I, you got me to hammer it down. It's it's going to be Corver, Hayward, Drummond, Plumley. Those are the guys that are gone. See, now I'm a Mason Plumley fanboy now, according to the... I'm sure we're going to get comments on that, and now you're just going to be a Mason Plumley hater. I'm going to make sure Nets Daily gets this and sees how much of a hate-hard you are on uh, on Mason Plumley. Shout-out to Amin Al-Hassan of ESPN with his hate-hard gimmick. That's always fun on Twitter. Um, so... Let's go ahead, let's switch topics, let's go back to the Suns, because of the Phoenix Suns, there is a Plumley out there worth talking about, but he's on the select squad, he's practicing against his brother who's trying to make the roster, and he's out there doing cool things with the select squad with, you know, a couple other Golden State Warriors players and, you know, uh, Harrison Barnes and Draymond Green and a lot of other young guys, so it's pretty cool that uh, that he's out there doing that in general. So, switching gears back over to the Suns, let's go... Let's go Robert Sarver comments and then lead into Eric Bledsoe because I think that they kind of play off of each other. So let's go ahead and pause here for just one second. I'm going to stop talking and so is Jim. And we're going to let you listen to what Robert Sarver said on... We're going to let you listen to what Robert Sarver said on uh, Arizona Sports Radio here this week regarding the contract situation with Eric Bledsoe. Well, we... We think it's a fair offer. I mean, I think you could argue, you know, I mean, some would say it's maybe a little high. Some would say it's low. But, you know, what's fair is important to us and also important to him and, you know, him and his agent. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily us to determine what he thinks is fair. It's him to determine that, you know. Well, doesn't the market, doesn't, doesn't the market determine what's fair? Uh, at the end of the day, the market does. Okay, uh, has Eric day, Bledsoe received has Eric Bledsoe received one offer from any team in the NBA as a restricted free agent? Uh, none that were signed. So as you hear that right there, Jim, uh, just a quick little snippet from that interview, and I'm going to play it as a second snippet here in a moment. Sarver talking about the the fairness. That word fair was thrown out about 40 times. So I feel like he might be in trying to imply something to do with fairness. What are your thoughts on Sarver right there with his contract negotiation radio style? Yeah, that's 
that, I thought that was pretty interesting that Sarver chose to do the radio contract negotiation strategy. I, I don't really know that I approve of that, especially from him. I think that there hopefully are other people that are doing the negotiating of the contract with Bledsoe's people, and that's not Sarver, so it seems kind of interesting. When you get onto the subject of fair, how do you determine fair? Fair for one person isn't fair for another, and that's kind of what he is talking about there, where he says that that's for, for Bledsoe to determine what's fair. That That's based off of, of perception, and obviously the sides are pretty far apart from what's been leaked, because even more so than radio contract negotiations that Sarver engaged in here, it's been media contract negotiations through this whole saga with a, a little bit of back and forth. But I guess other people across the league have said it's fair, and I think it's fair based off of of some things with Bledsoe, injury history, the fact that he's not really proven that they're paying more based on potential. And I think it's fair, but obviously the the sides and what they think is fair is doesn't seem very close right now. So I'm going to, again, we're going to play a second snippet of the same interview. We'll, we'll throw the link for the interview in the podcast post so you guys can pull it up. I think it's like a 10-minute little segment that he had with Gambo. Um, best buddies there, Sarver and Gambo. So let me play this second clip here for you, Jim, and then we'll react to that one as well. He was restricted. We think we gave him a fair offer. Um, and we'd be more than happy to sit down with him and you know, continue to negotiate it. We're happy to do that. Do you think um, that the relationship is on the but, express lane to being ruined? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think I, I so like either. I, I don't. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think Eric's a great guy, and he'll be happy here when he gets here, and uh, whether that's for one year or for four years or five years or whatever. And and I think his agent's trying to do the. All right. So with that clip right there, talking about Eric's a great guy, and we have a good relationship with his agent, and yada yada. I want to bring this full circle back to a comment that Eric made not too long ago that we all ran with too much uh, about a week ago, which was him saying that he's letting his agent do all the negotiating. So in this situation, Eric Bledsoe has an agent that is going to negotiate on his behalf to get a contract signed. Robert Sarver owns a team. He has a general manager and a president that should be negotiating a contract to get his player signed to his team. Is that parallel, you know, does that work for you? Does that dynamic work? Should Robert Sarver play the role of Eric Bledsoe and step back and let his guys that are paid to do this go out there and do this? Exactly. That was uh, what I had a big problem with. I I wrote about this, and it's both of the times that he's been on the radio. I just, I don't think he's helping himself, and I I think he's not, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not necessarily saying overstepping his bounds, but I just, I think that what he's doing is, not it's, it's counterproductive. He he comes out earlier and talks about how the team wants to spend a bunch of money, and then they don't spend money. And the opportunity didn't present itself, and it's stupid to spend money just to spend money, but it's been a long time since the team has spent money, and part of that you just look at it like, well, you failed to do whatever you need to over this period of time to be able to spend the money. At some point, you need to figure out some way to get some kind of talent here to Phoenix that's worth spending that money on. And it's really easy to say, oh, well, we couldn't do it. And then next year, oh, well, it just didn't happen. And then uh, he, that's their job is to make it happen, to, to force some situation through the draft, through the trade, through free agency, to get somebody here worth spending the money on. And so when you dangle that carrot in front of the fans, 
face collectively saying, yeah, we want to spend a bunch of money, and then you don't do it. It just rings really hollow. So what was the point of saying that in the first place, try to excite people, and then you don't do it? I'm going to go tell my kid, hey, I think we're going to go to Disneyland this, this winter. You know, there's no promise, but I think we're going to go to Disneyland. And then I come back, well, sorry, kids, you know, it just didn't quite work out. I guess I shouldn't have teased you with it in the first place. And then now he comes out, and like you're saying, it's Lon Babby and Ryan McDonough are the people that he has under him. And I finally feel like he's got some stability and competent people under him, which is the stark contrast from the previous years with that buffoonery. So let them do their jobs. Why try to undermine what they're doing and come out and basically like lay the whole team's agenda on the table on the radio? I, I think... I don't think that he's doing justice to his employees that he's hired to do their jobs. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't disagree with that. And, and on that note, I think that um, that Eric Bledsoe has uh, kind of a theme song going on in his head right now based on the way that things are going on in the media. So that, for those who aren't fans of the band Rise Against, which me and uh, uh, Jim Kokenauer found out today through a sarcastic email that we both are, apparently, and, and I jokingly said that can one of the podcast topics today just be debating the depth and quality of Rise Against songs, and Jim's first reaction was, I think that I don't want to be here anymore off the new album is Eric Bledsoe's theme song. So that just a little clip of uh, I don't want to be here anymore with Eric Bledsoe. Do you feel with all of this, I mean, based on what you know about Eric from his time here in Phoenix, based on what we've gotten to know about him in general this summer with the way things are going. I, can you do you get that vibe that it's just like, you know what, dude, like I just want to play basketball. Let's get a contract signed or the relationship is irreparable and it's broken. Like sources I'm throwing up air quotes, guys, like sources have been saying. I don't know that it's irreparable in, in terms of that. I, I think that it's strained certainly and understandably so with any player in this type of situation where contract negotiations are obviously not going well. I think that first and foremost, I, I think that Bledsoe likes money. You ask him if he likes Phoenix, well, I think he likes money. I think that if the Suns give him the max five-year deal that you, know, you put that in front of him today, he'd sign it. But I, I think he'd rather take the money from somebody else if he had his brothers that this isn't his first place that he would pick in terms of well who would I want to play for money being equal or maybe even who would I want to play for money being equal so I'm kind of interested at this point that the qualifying offer doesn't seem like a, a good option but whether even at this point whether they might be looking at signing a shorter term deal somewhere to, to try to force the Suns to, to match something that isn't nearly as attractive to them, uh, um, some kind of contract close to what LeBron got or possibly what Chandler Parsons got, something along those lines. Yeah, I'm curious. So there's two... Let's, let's go with three scenarios on this that are in my head. So I got three scenarios. You let me know which one you hate, which one you like. Maybe you don't like any of them. But So scenario number one is... 
all hands just get thrown up in the air and Eric Bledsoe signs his qualifying offer and then doom and gloom next summer, you know, Eric Bledsoe could easily just walk away and leave even though the Suns can still give him more than other teams. So that, that could end up being a scenario. Scenario two, the Phoenix Suns cave, give him the max with the idea in the back of their head of potentially trading Goran Dragic to be able to create the flexibility. I know the cap is supposed to go up in a year or two, um, but maybe, you know, signing him to that big deal going, all right, we're just going to hitch our wagon to you, Eric, and then we'll kind of field offers for Goran, you know, long term. And then the third opportunity is maybe trying to find some middle ground between five years and 80 and four years and 48. There's obviously a middle ground in there somewhere, but, you know, no one is budging yet on terms of where they want to go and how high they'll go with their middle ground, how low Eric and his camp will go with his middle ground. Obviously, the, t- the qualifying offer is the most scariest option there. Some people might say the, the potential of trading Gorin is the scariest option there. But are there other opportunities, or is that is that pretty much the three scenarios that the Suns have at their hands with this choose-your-own-adventure game of free agency? That, that pretty much sums it up, although to the qualifying offer scenario, I, I think you add in, like I said, whether Bledsoe's, camp at, at that point if they're having a hard time not reaching agreement on something with a lot more money involved whether they say that they're in a situation where hey we're either going to have a qualifying offer or we're talking to other teams that we're going to have somebody give him a one-year deal with a, a second-year player option I, I would have to imagine that there's some team i haven't looked into it but with some cap money left that could at least give him seven eight million dollars and then a second-year option for nine or ten something like that to where he'd get about two years, maybe close to $20 million with a player option, somebody like that. That, that. that seems at least somewhat possible. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And then in terms of that, that going on, now you have the discussion to where they could say, well, hey, this is what we're looking at doing. We're looking at trying to find another team to, to do this kind of deal. We're looking at taking the qualifying offer. What we are looking at is coming back to the Suns in any way. So if you want to look into doing some kind of sign-and-trade, something like that, then we'd also be amenable to that. But So that scenario is Bledsoe leaving, and the, the least catastrophic would be some kind of good sign-and-trade works out. I, I guess the, the most enviable of those three scenarios is that the Suns budge a little bit and Eric takes a little bit less and you do something like four years, $56 million, something like that. It works out for both sides. I still think that's overpaying for him. But it's it's a bad situation right now, and so there's sometimes you know pyrrhic victories. You don't have to you don't have to, sometimes you have to lose a little bit to win, and so sometimes you don't have to try to crush Eric Bledsoe under your fist just because you have the upper hand in the negotiations. Yeah, and some people's logic is you pay for what a player is going to do. Other people's logic is you pay for what the player just did, you know, assuming that he's going to continue doing it. And somewhere in the middle is where most people are, is you're paying for some potential, you're paying for some performance and some combination in there, and then you end up getting it. I mean, it's it's kind of tough with Eric Bledsoe because on one hand, you can say that, you know, $80 million is overpaying for him, but I get 100% why his agent is doing this, and it's not 100% the reason why he's doing it, but the years are probably the most important thing to a guy like Rich Paul locking up a guy like Eric Bledsoe who hasn't proven that he can play an entire season um, at any level where he is injury-free. So you get a guy with five guaranteed years. No one's saying that Eric Bledsoe is going to get hurt, and I'm going to... I'm going to knock on wood. That was actual wood I'm knocking on. That's not a sound effect. I'm not that good. Um, 
but like we're hoping that he doesn't get hurt. Even if he played for a different team, I wouldn't hope that he gets hurt because that's just a silly way of watching sports. But the years are probably more important at the end of the day to a guy like Rich Paul. And maybe if the Suns go up to five years or maybe four in a player option with a little bit more money, that could be where he falls in line. I mean, twelve million to fourteen million a year is some it's some kind of a place where I think most people can live and be happy with with Eric Bledsoe because it's all about perceived value. The Suns have him at a certain value. Bledsoe has himself at another value. So you got to find a way to meet in the middle there because at the end of the day, the Suns control him for at least one more year anyway. So you got to suit up or unless the Suns decide to trade you, which you know, more than likely isn't going to happen. So you're going to end up suiting up for this team for one more year regardless. Right. In, in terms of those scenarios, though, I, I think at this point, I, I mean, I, I'll rule out in terms of this here. Let me Let me try to compartmentalize this a little bit. The, the five-year max will not happen. The four-year, $48 million contract will not happen. If Bledsoe is to remain a Phoenix Sun, it'll be a middle ground in between there. Bledsoe will not take the qualifying offer, but like I said, I think there's a possibility of like a one-year, second-year player option to where he gets a little bit more money guaranteed. The play for $3.7 million would just be insanely idiotic especially when he could do something like I'm saying and, you know, guarantee some money, you know, get to that point where you're at least close to $20 million that you have guaranteed to where if something catastrophic did happen, hey, at least you have $20 million. You're not still going to, you know, struggle for money at any point in your life. That should be enough money to take care of you. So I could see that as a possibility, and I could see a sign-and-trade as a possibility. So some kind of shorter contract, a sign-and-trade, or some middle ground between the, the numbers that have been reported in the media. Because these are media negotiations. They're not negotiating these on a contract table between the two parties, anything like that. This is like the public. And, and we should actually do like some kind of like Facebook voting or something like that. And maybe us people in the public, us NBA fans, can actually negotiate the contract for them with like likes on Facebook. We can click it. You know what? I mean, that, that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. Oh, wait, we're not the Sacramento Kings. Never mind. We don't have our fans come out and do our draft picks for us. Never mind. Um, so that would be that would be an interesting scenario where, like you said, he maybe signs like a LeBron-esque type contract and basically says, hey, look, you know, handshake under the table. I'm going to go out there and kick ass for one year. I'm going to play 82 games. We're going to make the playoffs. I'm going to do what I did last year, but for 82 games, I'm going to sign a one-year deal with a player option i'm not going to take that player option and then it's going to be on you guys to give us the max like you're you're cool with doing that all right handshake under the table let's go ahead and go out there and have a season so i can see that happening i mean that that's not out of the realm of possibility we see a lot of handshake deals happen in the nba well we don't see them actually that's why they're under the table handshake deals um but they they happen all the time and, and we we see we see the after effects of them i guess you should say so yeah so you're saying right now that you say the qualifying so the three options that most that have been reported he's going to take the qualifying because he's angry the Suns want him to take 12 Eric Bledsoe wants to take 80 overall over the course of five years you don't think any of those three happen it's middle ground or a small contract where they figure things out you know as the course of the season is going on right or, or the sign and trade or the sign and trade the middle ground the sign and trade or the smaller contract I think that those are the the three options I don't think the Suns have any leverage for a sign-and-trade to benefit them. Like, I, I would understand the agent going, hey, let's do a sign-and-trade. Let's get Eric on one of these five or six teams. But I don't know if there's if the Suns would have the leverage with another team because they would basically go, well, look, I know you're going to trade him. He's going to be a free agent next year. We can live without him for one year. We're not going to give you anything. Oh, you want to do the trade? Here's our scrap heap and maybe a couple of picks that have protection. So I don't know if the Suns have any leverage let's, or be able to get him. Let's play make-believe. Let's play make-believe. And you're the Ryan McDonough. Okay. 
and Eric Bledsoe's agent comes to you and he says, hey, I have a deal worked out with Bledsoe. He's going to sign. He's got a, a two-year deal, player option for the second year, uh, $8 million this year, 9 and change with the Rays next year. Or that's with Team A. Or with Team B, the Cleveland Cavaliers, we could give you Wiggins and Bennett for Bledsoe straight up in a sign-and-trade. So do you want Bledsoe for one year for $8 million and then he can leave, or do you want those two players and he can go to Cleveland? And Cleveland will give him a nice, juicy contract. Well, let me turn that around because I'm Ryan McDonough. I jump up, shake his hand, and say, let's make this happen. But let's turn it around a little bit and say, okay, you're Ryan McDonough, and I go up to you and I'm the agent, and I say, there's option A, exactly how you spelled it out, and here's option B. I have the Cleveland Cavaliers on the phone that are willing to give you Matthew Dellavedova um, the rights to some second-round pick and a protected first-round pick in 2016 for Eric Bledsoe. Um, pick your poison because we're going to do, if you don't do one of those two, we're just going to sign the qualifying and then we'll make it happen. Because you're not getting Andrew Wig. I, I know what you're doing with the offer there, but that's where I think the leverage of the Suns is not in their hands. I don't think they're even going to get an offer for a player even capable of the potential of Anthony Bennett, let alone getting Bennett and Wiggins or those comparable type players. I think it would end up being more of a, hey, here's Anther- here's Matthew Dellavedova and here's you know some other players at the end of our bench i'm not studying the cavaliers roster sorry uh sorry you guys out there in cleveland fear the sword but i'm not i don't think that you're getting a comparable player to like even an anthony bennett with his potential right and that's why i was saying make believe so yeah, i'm not yeah. saying that that's a realistic deal i'm not saying that that's going to happen but i'm just trying kind of trying to set the table in terms of that there could be a possibility where there is an offer attractive enough and a team that Bledsoe either wants to go to based off of the actual team, the actual money, or both the team and the money, and so that this might be something that, that comes down the line. It's, it's possible, and the, the further these things stretch out, then you, you don't know exactly how that works out. And the fact that he's, you know, he still is unsigned and that the Sons of their draft pick is unsigned, that they still do have leverage to use that. I mean, that is still an option at this point. It's not completely off the table. Yeah, I can see some leverage with the rookies not being signed and throwing. Like, if it's an Eric Bledsoe for assets kind of a trade, not an Eric Bledsoe with, you know, friends coming along with him and, you know, for assets, I, I can see the Suns having a little more leverage because you have some young players, you have some picks you can play with. So let's let's flip the script here and talk about something that makes Suns fans cry a lot. So... The concept of trading Eric Bledsoe, he's got potential, he's got a you know unique contract situation they have to figure out. Someone who doesn't have a unique contract situation is Goran Dragic, who is going to be going into free agency himself next summer, potentially. And when that all goes down, he's going to be a guy that's very coveted. He'll be in his peak, in his prime, whether it's the back end of his prime or wherever you want to classify it, but he'll be in his prime, a dynamic point guard that showed what he can do on a good team last year and who's still got some years ahead of him to play really good basketball, kind of a under-the-radar guy. Phoenix Suns decide to trade him instead. What is What do you think the value is for a guy like Goran Draghi? Because I think that that's the trump card that no one is really looking at, because Ryan McDonough could be cloak and dagger, seeking out moves for Goran, throw the max at Eric Bledsoe, and all of a sudden this blows up in our face and we have a whole new team next year. Well, do you think, Chris, that Goran Dragic is a max contract player? No, and and I'm glad you asked that. I'm not going to go long-winded. I want you to say what you got to say there, but no, I don't think that next summer Goran should be getting the five-year, eighty million dollar, like whatever that contract. He she should not be getting a Derrick Rose, John Wall, Kyrie Irving type extension as a 29, 30 year old guy going into a contract that'll carry him into his mid thirties. So, in terms of trading him 
now or before the season, which would be the most likely scenario because then you have control for the whole year, that kind of – it has to be part of the conversation because obviously he could play – as well or even better. Let's say he could even play better this season, and that kind of changes the contract situation. But to think right now, if the Suns already think he's a max contract player, that changes his trade value because at that point, then you only want to trade him if you know that you're getting like a definite upgrade out of it. Because here's what you have to think is, is that you have to be prepared with Guan being a free agent that somebody's going to give him a max contract. Somebody will do it. That, I mean, that's what you have to be prepared for. I'm not saying that he 100% will, but you have to be prepared for that. A lot of people are already looking at him in that next class as one of the top free agents that's going to be out there. And I think, based off of the relationship that Goran would give the Suns a chance to match an offer, that if somebody else is, has the max out there, that he would probably give the Suns a chance to match that. I don't think that he's given them a hometown discount. I think that whatever the market yields for Goran, the most he can get, the Suns better be prepared to pay that. But if if they don't think he is, then I don't necessarily think it just has to be some kind of you know first or second team All NBA player that he could be involved in a trade with. So I, I think that there is a difference there in terms of what the Suns perceive that in terms of what his trade value is to the Suns, at least. I think in terms of the league, I think that he has to be one of the top 20 to 30 most desired prospects, assets in the league. He plays in a, the point guard position, which is a very deep position in the NBA. But I think that at least about half the teams, it, he would be enough of a definite upgrade for or he would, you know, match, beat out whatever they kind of had coming. There's, there's some teams that have young players that aren't as good as Goran, so that they're still kind of settled on that position. But I, I think that, that Goran would have to be somewhere around top 20, top 30 in the league in terms of trade value. Yeah, and, and I do not disagree one second there. Goran kind of falls into that range of that 12 to $14 million a year point guard, and he deserves it. He went out there last year. Well, let's let's backtrack it a little bit. He went out the year prior to last under the terrible regime that was going on in the really bad situation and performed admirably. I mean, he he did well for a team that won 25 games, and he did a lot of good things, and you know, it was a 25-win team. So there wasn't a ton of good things that happened overall. He was one of those shining bright spots. Last year he went out there and he was borderline all-star. I mean, a lot of people thought that, hey, you know, switch one thing here and, you know, switch another thing there and Goran Dragic is an all-star, which, you know, he could have very easily made the roster. So going forward, I think that's who he is. I think he's a guy that's going to be 14 to 17 points a night on a good playoff caliber team, if not a championship contender, you know, distributing the ball, playing reckless, doing what Goran Dragic does. But you mentioned a good point there at the point guard position, unless you're trading Goran for a point guard, it's kind of a deep position in the league where you start looking around at teams that are playoff contenders that want an upgrade, quote-unquote, at point guard. I mean, the playoff teams that might want an upgrade, you're talking about Indiana. They don't have anything to give you back. You're talking about Dallas. They don't really have anything to give you back. You're talking about these kind of teams. I mean, maybe Utah surprises people, and then Phoenix can put together a deal to send Gore in there, and they think they're a playoff team, and you get some young assets. But Gorin being traded for to a team is going to be really difficult to pinpoint how and where and and you know what, what kind of makes that base of the trade because a lot of these teams that are playoff caliber, championship aspiration caliber that'll want Gorin 
are already kind of set at the point guard position or have a player of very similar value or talent as a guy like Goran? Yeah, most of the most of the good teams do have good point guards. So if you're trading Goran based off the fact that you are wary of that max contract situation coming up, potentially you're trading him for assets rather than a better player to a team that thinks that that point guard would propel them to, to a higher station. It's not easy. And not to try to be closed-minded and shut a window when you don't have to, but to me it still seems like the Bledsoe situation needs to be resolved in lieu of attempting to move Goran or make a decision on something like that. And like I said, obviously it's short-sighted because you don't want to be – limiting yourself to say, hey, I have to do this first and then miss out on another opportunity that comes along. But I, I think that the the Bledsoe situation definitely takes priority. Yeah, and I think that on a big giant whiteboard somewhere in Ryan McDonough's you know, house or office or Phoenix Suns practice facility, I don't know, but there's a big giant whiteboard that has three scenarios on it with when it comes to Goran and Eric, and one scenario is we're hitching our wagon to Eric Bledsoe and then everything that trickles down afterwards. The next one is we're hitching our wagon to Gorin and we're not going to budge with Eric and we'll figure that out and then trickle down effects. And then the other one is we're going to try and keep these two together for as long as we possibly can, you know, maybe the you know next three to five years and see what these two can do as a dynamic backcourt. So there's going to be trickle down effects. It's, it's a choose your own adventure. Ryan McDonough's got the page in front of him and he's got three options and he can turn to page 11, page 75 or page 22 with whichever scenario he wants to go with on this one. I mean, there's not really a wrong answer with it, but there's a lot of trickle-down effects. There's a lot of things that are going to happen afterwards, no matter what decision he ends up making with these guys. And I don't necessarily think that one has to go before the other, but I think that both decisions kind of get made equally and potentially around the same time. And like you said, a lot of fans might get lacrimose at the idea of trading Dragic at all, that they have a loyalty to him, that they love him as a fan, and he's a great player for a franchise. He's, he's the kind of player you want playing for you. But in a league where Chris Paul gets traded, where Kevin Love is about to get traded, unless your name is LeBron James or Kevin Durant, then you're tradable. So I want to bring up something. I got a chance to talk to Draymond Green the other day while he was hanging out in, in China doing some NBA Nation stuff. And I asked him the question, and I worded it this way, and, and the, the kid's smart. He went for four years to Michigan State, and I think he actually went to classes every now and then. He's not like some of these other guys. But I had asked him the question, how comfortable and secure do you feel in your position with the Golden State Warriors based on what you've already done? And he immediately came back and goes, I don't feel secure. You know, Nobody in this league should feel secure outside of the LeBron James, the Kevin Durants, the Kobe Bryants, the Steph Currys. Of course, he threw out one of his guys on Golden State, which I thought was great. But, you know, he made a valid, valid point. Like, you should almost never feel secure unless you have reached that kind of heights of those kind of players. And, heck, even a guy like Kevin Durant can get traded if all of a sudden the whispers start coming around that he's leaving for Washington and Oklahoma's, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, they did it with James Harden. They go, you know what? All right, we can't keep you. We're going to get the most from you. So anyone can get traded, but there are that there is that little select few. And it's like that in every generation and every year of every decade of basketball. There's that, like, four to five guys maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, depending on the talent pool. But there's always a few that are untradeable. They have that security. And, and I don't think that anyone on the Suns should feel like they've created that equity where they cannot be traded, even though they may be fan favorites and loved by the organization. 
Yeah, they haven't quite reached that Tim Duncan status where they can work the no-trade clause into their contract yet. They haven't? Are you kidding me? So you're, what you're telling me right now is Markeith Morris can't walk into a negotiation next summer and go, I kind of want some Tim Duncan treatment here. And what wouldn't it be just the most hilarious thing ever if the Suns were able to boomerang Goran's ass away again and get some assets for him, and then he comes back and finds for him this summer? I think that it would be amazing if they can find a way to trade him for like I don't know who's a who's a random decent backup point guard. Uh, Patrick Beverly's a starter now. I was going to throw his name out there. Uh, you know, let's go ahead and trade him for like Sean Livingston because he brings good depth to. I, it's it, that that trade back then was silly. Back then, it's even funnier now. Um, but no, that that would be interesting if you send out Goran, he signs like a three-year extension with that team, and then all of a sudden finds his way back to Phoenix to end his career. It's like every every trail leads back home for Goran. Yeah, it's uh, like the, the escape velocity. Goran, Goran does not have the escape velocity to leave Phoenix permanently. He just kind of gravitates towards this. He can't quite get out into space. Hey, that's what happens when you're a young Serbian kid coming to a, a just a very different world out in Phoenix, Arizona, and it just kind of welcomes you in, and it just becomes your home. He can't get away from it. That was many moons ago that he was that yeah, young absolutely. Serbian kid. <laughs> All right, man. You know what, Jim? I think we've talked a lot of basketball. We mixed in a Rise Against song, um, which made up for all my terrible baseball references last week because that's just not a sport that I like to talk about. So I think that that made up for it, and I got some credibility back. I get some equity back with the listeners, hopefully, with that little clip there. But beyond that, Jim, we haven't had you on, I think, in two straight weeks, maybe two and a half if we consider the, the half-missed podcast a, a little while back. What are your parting shots, parting thoughts for the Brightsiders here today? That it's going to get boring here, I think. So we had uh, some nice August discussion going on, and, and hopefully I will do my best to make something a little bit interesting. I can... I can. I got some people kind of pissed off at me this week, the last couple of days or so, and so that's that's what I'm going to try to do. That's what I'm going to try to bring is I'm going to try to like really piss off some people, and that way it can kind of uh, foster some good discussions and back and forth and stuff on the site. Seems like when when people get mad, then that 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 can be kind of entertaining. Let's put it this way: if the Phoenix Suns don't do something with Eric Bledsoe in the next calendar week. Um, you know, seven days from now, I'll have to, I'll have my own take and spin on it, but I'm waiting for a very specific time because I got a theme for it. So yeah, it's, it's about to become boring. So we got to get real creative as a uh, quote unquote writers <laughs> as we try to call ourselves. But, um, yeah, it's going to get boring, but I think I got some interesting stuff along the horizon there. So quick little tease. We're not taking you guys to Disneyland guys, but we are telling you that there'll be some interesting content and some fun stuff to debate and go in, go in on, on bright side of the sun, at least from us too. I can't speak for anybody else. Um, I can speak for the audio quality of the BS of the Suns podcast, which is tip tier, tip top, pristine, good stuff. Jim, as always, good stuff. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the BS of the Suns podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun.